1: and the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection.
2: Hey, guys, it's Bobby Bones. I host The Bobby Bones Show, and I'm pretty much always sleepy because I wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. A couple hours later, I get all my friends together, and we get into a room, and we do a radio show. We share our lives, we tell our stories, we try to find as much good in the world as we possibly can, and we look through the news of the day that you'll care about. Also, your favorite country artists are always stopping by to hang out and share their lives and music too. So wake up with a bunch of my friends on 98.7 WMZQ in Washington, D.C. or wherever the road takes you on the iHeartRadio app. Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen and I'm Caroline. And last fall, a series of greeting cards caught mine and a lot of people on the Internet's attention, which might sound kind of strange because greeting cards, why Why do greeting cards matter? Well, these were greeting cards that you've probably never really seen before because they were greeting cards about miscarriage. Yeah, and I think what's so
3: refreshing and what probably grabs so many people's attention is that the messages on the cards are so open, honest, straightforward, and to the point. Uh, they're messages that you don't typically see in your average uh, sympathy card.
2: Well, yeah, because we don't even talk about miscarriage to begin with. And when we did a podcast about miscarriage a little while back, and one of the things that we focused in on is the stigma and taboo around it and the fact that a lot of people who experience them rarely talk about it um, and end up going through sometimes a, a private grieving process. And so uh, Dr. Jessica Zucker, who we're talking to today, who's an L.A.-based clinical psychologist and writer specializing in women's reproductive and maternal mental health, Started this line of greeting cards to foster these kinds of conversations um and myth busting as well around miscarriage that we so sorely need. And they were inspired by. The response that she had after launching the hashtag, I had a miscarriage in 2014, um, timed with a New York Times piece that she published about her miscarriage experience, which prompted just an outpouring of responses from uh, from mostly women thanking her for saying things that had happened to them similarly, but that they'd never really felt comfortable or, or free to talk about. Yeah, because despite the fact that about
3: 15 percent of recognized pregnancies end in miscarriage, there is this culture of silence and shame and stigma around it that somehow it's your own personal failing as a person or as a
2: parent that this happened. And that couldn't be further from the truth. And breaking that silence, and also providing more education around this issue, has really become a personal mission for uh, Dr. Zucker, whom we're talking to. Um, and for a little bit of background. On her, she earned a master's at NYU in public health with a focus on international reproductive issues, and she worked for the Harvard School of Public Health. So, in other words, she's a real smart lady. Um, and she also earned another master's in psychology and human development at Harvard with a goal of shifting from global to an interpersonal focus. And when she experienced, though, this 16-week miscarriage as she's written about it really again shifted the focus of her entire career as she'll talk to us more about in this episode but we were so happy to have a chance to hear from Dr. Zucker not only about the I had a mar- miscarriage greeting cards but also her insights on on these cultural issues that we need to untangle.
3: Yeah, and so now let's hear from Dr. Zucker. <laughs> Well, Dr. Zucker, to get things started, would you mind introducing yourself to
4: our listeners and tell them a little bit about your background and what you do? Sure. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Uh, My name is Dr. Jessica Zucker and I'm a Los Angeles-based psychologist specializing in women's reproductive and maternal mental health. Last year, I launched the I had a miscarriage hashtag campaign with my first New York Times piece and this October, I launched a line of pregnancy loss cards.
2: Now you're really curious about whether you had envisioned these uh, greeting cards sort of as you were putting the hashtag together or whether that was something that came afterwards sort of, how did you, how did all of that fall into place?
4: Well, actually, no, at that time, um, well, soon after my miscarriage, so my miscarriage was a 16 week loss uh, three years ago. And. I, you know, had specialized in this particular field long before I experienced miscarriage myself and as a psychologist, it was sort of, you know, tricky to think through, do I want to put sort of my personal story out there in the world, Um, you know, because typically, Therapy is obviously so much more about the, the patient and the person story um, who's sitting in front of me, but I felt like it would model something that I strongly believe in, which is this idea that, you know, unfortunately, the research shows that so many women are reporting feeling a sense of guilt and shame and self-blame after a pregnancy loss. And so by initiating this hashtag campaign, it was sort of a way to, um and, you know, alongside the essay that I wrote, which had the, you know, all the details of my uh, traumatic loss, you know, is a way to sort of model this idea that we can share our stories and we don't infect each other by sharing our stories. We can't, you know, have a loss because we're talking about loss. And we all sort of, of course, know that, um, intellectually, but it seems that people, you know, are, um, Somewhat, you know, afraid to, to share about loss in our culture. Um, talking about out of order loss isn't something that, that people tend to do. So at the time, uh, I was writing mostly about the politics of, of pregnancy loss. And then with that particular piece, I got very personal. And then I went on to do an illustrated piece that's up on modern loss. Um, with this really talented cartoonist um, moving away from the essay and sort of trying to give people basically like a how-to guide on what to say and what not to say after somebody experiences a pregnancy loss. So soon after that, I think that was in the summer, um, I conceived of the idea of creating these cards and basically it felt like a natural next step you know, sort of trying to reach as many people as possible. I have a background in international public health and worked in international women's health for quite some time and so I wanted to reach people who I might never see in my office and I wanted to provide a way for people to actually connect after loss rather than sort of going to this typical, you know, place of silence or, oh, I just didn't know what to say, so I didn't say anything at all. This way, people can actually connect and provide support in a meaningful way.
3: Well, one important conversation that your cards sparked was what not to say to people in this situation. And why are sentiments like it happens for a reason or, well, at least, you know, you can get pregnant often so unhelpful?
4: true i it, people say these things and i think they think somehow that it's helpful or supportive or loving By you know, but they don't understand that that potentially this minimizes the the magnitude of the loss. And for a lot of women, you know, a loss at six weeks is incredibly meaningful. And for others, it isn't. And so we can't assume to know how people feel after loss. And so to kind of spout you know various platitudes, um, it's just often more hurtful than helpful. The more I've thought about these, though, the more I realize I think it's actually a way for the person who's saying them to feel better rather than the person they're saying it to.
2: So when it comes to sort of the opposite of people saying things to make anyone feel better, but the more typical silence and the internalized shame that can happen around miscarriage, what do you think there is in In our culture that kind of promotes it, and how does silencing and not talking about it impact the uh, physical and emotional healing process?
4: I think our culture struggles particularly when it comes to out-of-order losses. So when a grandparent dies, people typically know what to do. You know, they send a card, they send flowers, they send food, they come, you know, they attend the funeral. But with a loss like this, people really aren't armed with the tools um, to talk about it or to sort of extend um, support because we get just, I guess, overwhelmed by not knowing, you know, what to do. And, And so the silence often comes, though, from. Not knowing what to do, and i I think I'm trying with the cards to encourage people to almost no longer be able to say this or no longer be able to have an excuse really to go silent um, because women and you know their partners are often in a lot of emotional pain after a loss and feel quite confused about the future, bewildered by what happened, maybe feeling alienated from their bodies, maybe, you know, incredibly afraid of the future. So many different things come up. And so it's important that we have more of an openness and can more easily talk about grief and loss and sort of normalize this um, and the, I think in part because no one has sort of met this, this thing, this developing thing or, you know, this, this fetus or whatever, people don't sort of acknowledge it as a true loss, right? So they, they go on to sort of potentially minimize it by saying, well, you know, something was wrong with the baby anyway. Aren't you just glad that it happened this way? Yeah. And, you know, looking for silver lining or bright spots when there might not be any.
2: Well, and one thing that jumps out to me in the cards as well is that it allows room for women to not only be sad and to grieve, but also to be angry. And that was just something that you so rarely see in, Mm -hmm. I don't know, when it comes to women in general, permissions to be angry, but especially in these kinds of situations.
4: And it's so true, and why can't we have a range of feelings and have that be okay? And the, you know, the truth is, feelings aren't facts, so one day we could say, you know, F- Loss, like the card says and the next day feel totally differently about it right or the next week or month or year so feelings change anyway so again it's like well let's we can try a little bit harder I think to feel comfortable in whatever it is that we're feeling because it will change anger of course is an expected part of of losing something or of being afraid to not be able to have what you want and in this case that would be a baby
3: well, do you think that dads could use these cards, too?
4: I would love them, too. I have sent the cards to just a few men so far. Um, it's something I'm thinking about in terms of the future, because I realize that, you know, the communication, I think, in the cards it seems a, a lot more feminine based. Um And so, yeah, I need to sort of work on that a little bit, you know, because it's like, I think the card that says, I'm deeply sorry for your loss, if it just stopped there. But because I wrote, I'm here always, I just felt like a, a man may not send something that says that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so sort of along those same lines, uh, what did you think when Mark Zuckerberg and announcing um him and his mm-hmm. wife's Pregnancy also included openness about the miscarriages that they had experienced along the way, too. I mean, that seemed like a huge milestone, especially for a guy to be saying this.
4: Well, and especially him. Right. Yes. So whenever somebody sort of in the spotlight shares their story, it, it does help to destigmatize um, an issue that many people aren't talking about. So I thought that was incredibly powerful. And Good Morning America reached out to me a, a couple of days later and and wanted to talk to me about the initiation of the hashtag campaign and my work around pregnancy loss, because, you know, I mean, it is interesting. You know, he shared the news once they were having a successful pregnancy. And I think that's, you know, an interesting thing for us to think about that oftentimes women who um, aren't sort of in that positive place or on the other side, I guess, of of their loss, you know, may feel like, well, how come we didn't share this sooner? Or, um, you know, some people are even really advocating for sharing about being pregnant a lot sooner because in our culture typically people feel a pressure to wait to share their news until they're 12 weeks along um because you know miscarriages often happen within the first trimester and so you know these are just some interesting things to think about but I do think that the more people share their stories, um, the more we melt away this silence that doesn't need to exist, and that it actually creates more pain um, for the people going through it.
3: Do you think that telling people you're pregnant earlier on is part of sort of fostering a sense of support and community um, or or not? What do you advise your patients in terms of sharing their pregnancy timeline?
4: Mm. Well, I I do actually think that um, sharing early can, of course, bring more support if something were to go wrong, because I think this idea that not telling doesn't really foster anything except a feeling of kind of aloneness, you know, I mean, unless somebody just personally does want to, you know, marinate on this exciting um experience on their own or just with their partner or something, that's one thing, but to not share because of a worry that something might go wrong, I don't think behooves us as a culture. Um It doesn't bring the, the support that we do need whether things go well or things don't go well and in terms of advising my patients i i'm more interested i think with with the individual in terms of sort of what they're feeling what their um fears are what their excitement is all about what their hopes are um so if somebody for example wants to share early then i'm you know supportive of that but if somebody has had, let's say, you know, three losses or, or late term terminations because something was wrong with the baby or something and they don't feel, um, comfortable, you know, sharing with anybody. I understand that too. You know, so it really just depends, I think, on the individual. I mean, we, we grieve so differently and, you know, some, like I said earlier, some people have an early loss and grieve. Some people have an early loss and don't. Some people have a late loss and see it, you know, want to sort of see it as like, oh, this is a sign or, you know, something. And so we, we just kind of deal with our, um, grief and our losses in such different and individual ways. And so I think it just helps us to have a broader sense of normalizing all of
0: that.
2: Well, and I have to wonder as well, how much of the sort of recommendation to wait to tell um, later in a pregnancy is more to protect the person who's pregnant from more disappointment and sense of loss or more to protect us Mm -hmm. so that we, you know, have less of this kind of awkward grief that we're obviously not so great
4: dealing with. That's exactly what I think. Yeah. Yeah. And why is it so awkward? See, I think it's so fascinating. Like why is it hard for us to simply say, I'm so sorry for your loss and I'm here because I, some of my patients say, you know, they don't love when people say to them, tell me what I can do for you. It's like, well, just do something for me. I don't need to have to tell you what to do for me or whatever. So it's, it's so simple. We can simply say, you know,
3: I'm here. And we are going to hear more from our chat with Dr. Zucker when we come right back from a quick break.
0: Okay.
1: So you'll want to enjoy your Good Girls experience in a spoiler-free zone.
0: The all-new, all-hilarious season of Good Girls, Sundays on NBC and stream anytime.
2: Well, I was reading through a lot of the comments on your New York Times column, which was fantastic and just incredible to see all of the stories that were coming out of that and just the relief that so many women felt having the opportunity to share and going back to what you said a few minutes ago about how we don't infect each other by sharing our yeah. stories. Um, right. There was one commenter who noted that she was afraid to talk about her miscarriage for fear that it might jinx future pregnancies. So how yeah. might someone, you know, how, how would you work through that kind of, Worry. And I mean, was that a worry mm. that you had to, uh, kind of work through with your own pregnancies as well?
4: Oh, well, that's a good question. You mean my subsequent pregnancy after my loss? Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, terrified for the entire pregnancy. And I, you know, had the testing done, the chromosomal testing done, um, As early as possible and got you know the news that things were healthy but I nevertheless I had a really hard time believing it and um, that's in part you know why I created that card that is about being pregnant after pregnancy loss because if one in four pregnancies result in loss that means there's so many women walking around in bodies that have lost something that they wanted. Um, and especially if they go on to get pregnant again, it's sort of like that means there's so many people experiencing fear, um, at least for, for some period of time. And so, in terms of, you know, this idea of jinxing, the way I would work through that with a patient is really talking about like, you know, it makes sense you're anxious. You know, it, it, you're worried that by talking about bad things or things that could go wrong, that somehow just even putting that energy out there, those words, you know, out there that somehow that's going to make it happen. And and that's sort of magical thinking, right? It's like, that's what our kids say, like, oh, the moon is following me, you know? Um So, and that... It tends to happen more after trauma or after loss or with increased anxiety that we think that somehow we can impact things that we really can't. So by talking about, you know, disease or terror or, or, or pregnancy loss or any of these, you know, difficult and awful things, it doesn't increase the likelihood of them happening.
3: Well, what would you say helped you the most in processing your own loss and then going on to try again?
4: Mm. I think that the way that I've made peace, I guess, with my experience is really through my writing. Of course, I'm you know a big advocate of being in therapy, so that kind of goes without saying since I'm a psychologist. But uh, in addition to that, writing about my experience really helped me you know, sort of investigate various crevices of my pain, of my, of the complexity of loss. I have connected with so many wonderful women and organizations worldwide at this point that also helped me get through my loss because I felt such a sense of community and connectedness that I wouldn't have felt otherwise. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I went on to get pregnant, I think about four months after my loss and each day, you know, had its struggles. And so I think though, the more that I sort of, again, looked at each element, why do women feel ashamed? Why are we blaming ourselves? Why, you know, how can it be that the statistics are this high and we're living though in a culture that's basically silent about something so normative and and typical? Um, and so I, you know, getting deep into all of that from, I guess, the political perspective and then also the personal really helped me feel, I guess, capable of walking through this again. But until my daughter was born, um, I was worried. So you mentioned
2: writing and it reminds me of how, uh, I've heard a lot of, Therapists recommend women who have had traumatic birth experiences write their birth story as part of the healing process and write it over and over again, however many times they need to. Mm-hmm. Would you also recommend, you know, maybe women should be writing their miscarriage stories as well or their stillbirth stories? I mean, what it sounds like that was a, such a therapeutic process for you.
4: Yeah, I think that's an important question, you know, because, um, you would think because I initiated this hashtag, which is so public and sort of like, you know, puts it out there in such a major way that I might feel like, oh, everyone should probably do this. I I think writing is inevitably helpful for a lot of people, um, but whether or not they kind of share that privately, you know, publicly or keep it private, I think is totally up to them. So, um You know, because some people have had reactions to some of my writing, like, well, not everybody feels this way, or not everybody has to talk about it, or not everybody has to, you know, um, start a campaign related to it, and I I couldn't agree more. I I just feel like this is something that I need to do and it's so connected to my work and it's so now connected to my heart that I can't not do it. But I think, yes, writing about a traumatic birth experience sounds like a very important way to process the pain. And, you know, therapy, of course, can be helpful because therapy is typically, you know, maybe once a week for 50 minutes or twice a week, whatever. Um, writing is just can be continuous and it's right there, um, the pen and paper. So I think, yeah, I think that's a really important uh, healing possibility. Well,
3: along those lines, I'm interested in hearing uh, in the wake of both the hashtag and the cards and all of the attention that they've gotten. Have you yeah. learned anything from the people who are participating in the hashtag or anything that surprised you? Were you, surprised by any of the things that you heard from people who had gone through this as well?
4: I think I'm surprised by you know the fact that so many people feel ashamed. And you know, now it's I've read so much of the research now and so I I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm still I'm concerned by it uh that this many women are feeling a sense of alienation from their bodies or in their bodies and feeling less at home in their skin and thinking that somehow, you know, maybe by exercising or having sex or having a sip of wine, you know, that somehow they created this loss. And, uh, so I've heard just so much of that, you know, over the years now, um, since I came out with my story, you know, women sharing that, somehow, you know, did they do that? Did they do something to deserve this? Which is, again, you know, an example of magical thinking where it's like people actually think that maybe, oh, if I maybe I didn't want a baby badly enough and that's why this happened. Or, you know, maybe it's because I wasn't nice to someone in junior high and so this is karma or, you know, some sort of boomerang effect, you know, and Uh, again, that's just not possible. And so it's that, that is disheartening to know that this many people are feeling this way. And again, this is part of my sort of inspiration for talking so much about it and trying to be part of a culture that's normalizing grief rather than keeping it quiet or, or, you know, lathering on more shame.
0: Okay.
4: No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with
0: GEICO. It's almost better than sports.
2: Well, we're really curious, especially since uh, the podcast is Stuff Mom Never Told You. We're always curious about advice from moms to daughters. And if your daughter ever gets pregnant, what what do you
4: think Mm -hmm. your advice will be just for the whole experience? Mm Mm-hmm it's such an important question you know it's interesting that you say that because just this morning um uh, i was you know changing her out of her pajamas into her clothes and changing her diaper and just kind of gazing into her eyes and thinking about all that i've been through and what it kind of took to, to get her, I guess. Um, And how different I feel about her in a way than, than I felt after having my son, you know, when, when pregnancy had been so easy and, um, and I hadn't known sort of heartbreak at that point. And um, so I, well, I hope that I make her proud. (laughs) Um, So, you know, meaning like When she's older or old enough to know that this is something that I've done with my life, you know, that I created these cards and that I'm hoping to help, you know, impact our society in terms of the discussion around all this. I hope that she then would feel comfortable with whatever feelings arise for her in terms of getting pregnant, um, you know, or choosing not to get pregnant or... If she were to have a loss, you know, to, to be able to kind of express herself, whatever the feelings might be.
3: I actually have one, um, final question that yeah. maybe could help, uh, give some perspective to our listeners. Um, you know, there, there is such a struggle, it seems like, to figure out the right thing to say to someone who's experienced such a loss. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, what happens both emotionally and sort of in your social and family circle? What what happens once all of those condolences and cards and hugs have stopped? Because it seems like, you know, with the awkwardness in our culture that we feel around loss, everyone yeah. else is so ready to move on. But where
4: does that leave you? Yes. <laughs> Thank you for bringing this up. I really try to drive home a sense of consistency in a majority of the cards that I created so that people would understand like, you know, I'm here for you right now and I'm here for you always. Or if you wanna call me morning, noon and night, do. You know, it's like because I felt very alone at some point, um, soon after my loss and All the love was there. All the support was available, but I still, I felt pretty isolated Um, because typically what a month later, people aren't going to, you know, call you up and ask about how you're feeling about your loss. Why not? I'm not quite sure, but I needed that. And um, that's why I think these cards can be sent sort of at any time, you know, and I think that we need to kind of be more comfortable in the uncomfortability that loss brings. So, again, you know, if it's a grandparent, it feels very different. I think people, you know, might ask about it if you were particularly close to that person or they may not because it was a kind of a normative loss, you know, hopefully they lived a long and meaningful life and so uh that's that. But I think with something like this, again, it's people are hoping that you forget about it or that you move into getting pregnant again and you focus on the good news or you focus on something, you know, quote-unquote positive. And then you're kind of stuck, though, with these feelings on your own. So I would urge people to try to show up for people later. So even, you know, six months after a loss, and now I'm, of course, biased in terms of my loss was, you know, so much later than the typical loss. So someone with a way earlier loss may not be resonating with what I'm saying. They may not want someone to bring it up six months later, but I know for me it would have been so helpful if if friends just kind of texted me saying, you know, just thinking of you if you ever want to talk or you ever want to scream or you ever want to vent or you ever want to just you know, tell me the whole story or not at all, whatever, anything. I just felt there was kind of this closed door uh, after a certain period of time.
2: Now I'm just curious, uh, as someone so busy, you have two kids, you're yeah. a practicing therapist, you have the cards, you had a hashtag that went viral. So what possibly <laughs> could be next?
4: <laughs> oh, that is a very good question. I would like to know that too. (laughs) Um, Raising these little people and continuing on in in this work, you know? So I don't know. I mean, there's a part of me that wants to commit to a book. There's a part of me that doesn't. Um, I just, I don't know yet. I'm not sure. But I know that this is definitely something I will keep at for quite some time.
2: Well we're very glad to hear that because right. we're we're so excited to share this interview with our listeners because anytime we have talked about miscarriage on the podcast or just uh when we shared the link about uh, your cards just an okay. outpouring of um of responses from people they're so so eager and just longing to talk about it and to hear about it and to feel comforted from it. So we really, really do appreciate you taking the time. I'm so
4: glad. Yeah, I really just hope that it creates a sense of connectedness and community. And again, because the statistics are so high, I just I want people to feel less alone, less ashamed um, and less self-conscious about it.
2: Thank you again so much to Dr. Jessica Zucker for talking to us about her work and about miscarriage and stillbirth. And if you'd like to learn more about her, you can go to her website at drjessicazucker.com, which is also where you can buy uh, the Pregnancy Loss greeting cards and sympathy cards. Um, and if you also want to learn more about just the basic facts surrounding miscarriage, you should head over to StuffMomNeverToldYou.com and listen to the podcast that we did about that. And listeners, I'm, I'm really curious to hear how this conversation has resonated with you and your experience. Momstuff at com is where you can email us. You can also tweet us at Momstuff podcast. Or message us on Facebook. And we've got a couple of messages to share with you right now.
3: Well, I have a letter here um, from Jeffrey in response to our knitting episode. I just finished listening to the knitting episode and wanted to write in about one of my New Year's resolutions, learning to crochet. Owing to the fact that I, like you two, have tried to learn to knit in the past to my ultimate despair, I decided to see if my hands took any more easily to the crochet hook. As it turns out, my brain totally wraps around it so much more easily than it did knitting. I definitely recommend trying it as a triumphant trade for knitting if that particular failure haunts you as it haunted me. I'm only a few weeks in, but already making great headway and getting used to how it feels in my hands. But the real reason I'm writing is more to the gendered subject matter you brought up in the episode. Being a gay male in New York City, I don't much get askance looks if I pull out my work in public. It's New York, and no one cares. I'm crocheting on the subway. The guy next to me might be conducting an imaginary orchestra. However, my husband and I are planning a move to a more rural area this summer, where I imagine the level of at least initial surprise might be a good bit higher. I don't expect a lot of judgment attached, but the occurrence of a man crocheting is probably less common, and outside of major city environments, I think people tend to notice more and ask more questions, inadvertently revealing their assumptions or biases. I think it's an interesting phenomenon and wonder if there's anything else you two might know about the connections between gender and sexuality stigmas and metropolitan living versus rural living. I think some things there are easily assumed or just taken as common sense, but I don't know much about research to support what we all infer, i.e. city folk are more high-minded and or tolerant, while the country folk are quicker to scrutinize or question validity. It might make an interesting episode, unless I've missed one in the past. And all of that from A Brief History of Knitting. Thank you for a super fun show. I'm a dedicated listener to several House Fricks podcasts and appreciate all the work you guys do to educate us in an entertaining way. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. We appreciate you listening. And no, we haven't done an episode looking at stigmas and gender in city versus rural living. But I guess that's something tangentially. It's kind of a thing we touch on in a lot of our episodes.
2: Yeah, it reminded me of our Farmer Jane's episode where we talk about the um, queer farming movement. So there are definitely rural areas out there that are super progressive and very organic as well. Mm, Delicious (laughs) radishes. Thanks, Jeffrey. Well, I've got a letter here from Heather about our feminist marriage episode. And she writes, I started listening to your podcast when I had an awful commute two hours each way. Oh, my goodness, Heather. And I enjoyed it so much, I've continued even though I no longer have the commute. In fact, I often listen while I'm cooking and have a bit of a chuckle about listening to a feminist podcast while engaging in such a stereotypically gendered activity. Not only have your podcasts helped me to embrace my feminism, but it also feels like a great way to engage in intellectual discourse post-grad school. What wonderful compliments. Thank you, Heather. She goes on to say, I want to especially thank you for your episode on the feminist marriage, which struck a very personal chord for me. Specifically, it helped me to articulate some of the things I've been dealing with and also to feel less alone in the process. My husband and I got married in December of 2014 after a whirlwind romance. We met online, and he proposed after only three months on the lot where we built our house. I know. I would want to roll my eyes if this had not actually happened to me. I feel grateful to have found someone so wonderful to share my life with and to have a great story about it, but still, there's something almost sad about going from an independent woman to being described as someone's wife. Don't get me wrong. In a day-to-day sense, I'm very happy. It's more on a philosophical level that I struggle with the labels and expectations. On top of that, we live in Texas, so there is a very real societal pressure to conform to certain relationship norms. My husband is very supportive and understanding, and we have the occasional discussion rather than the blowouts described by Meg Keene. I do agree that it's an ongoing process, though. And I also believe that it's important to recognize and be able to articulate how you're feeling. Thanks for your hard work. I'm finding the latter much easier and I feel more normal for it. Well, thank you so much, Heather, for writing, and I'm so happy to hear that the podcast has been a source of comfort for you and listeners. Again, we want to hear from you as well. Mom stuff at is our email address, and for links to all of our social media as well as all of our blogs, videos, and podcasts, with links to Dr. Jessica Zucker's work, so you can learn more about her. Head on over to stuffmomnevertoldyou.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95%